podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at CypherCast.net. And follow us on Twitter at CypherCast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we'll be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing, My Path Takes Me Strange Places, wherein we talk about locations you can find under the blue sun. Join us on the path of suns, and we may uncover a secret or two. When we cast My Path Takes Me Strange Places, we discuss the setting of Invisible Sun. It's time for us now to move to the blue sun and talk about the locations a Visley may find there. The blue sun represents a variety of themes, most obviously dream and the mind, as well as passivity, that which is unnoticed, sleep, which kind of goes with dream, um, and the future. Uh, Clearly, the future contrasts with the greens representation of the present. Uh, Passivity contrasts with some of the tone of other suns related to activity and aggression and things like that. Uh, But together, these themes make up a a relatively complex arrangement of themes that the blue represents. And this is part of what will frame the locations uh, of the blue, though uh, the locations of the blue are not as numerous in teratology as uh, as the previous suns we've discussed. Uh, there will be other suns in the future with even fewer, uh, some with more, some with none, some with none. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the few locations for the blue, uh, like those discussions before, uh, help illustrate how these themes can be coded into. Uh, locations you may design for your game. Uh, These are also more so than the previous suns we've talked about, locations that are categories of locations more than they are um, specific singular locations. The exception to that is the first, the disintegrating fuselage. Uh, When I first read this, what immediately came to mind was the scene from the original heavy metal movie with the... uh, uh, military plane kind of disintegrating as it crashes. I don't know why that is what I always think of with disintegrating fuselage. Mm, um, you, you reference this movie a lot. And it makes me think we should probably watch it. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Oh, it no. Some of it's uh, good. Yes. Uh, some of it's good. <laughs> I'm comfortable with that statement. All right. Um, uh, the... So you you have for this location an actual uh, fuselage for a plane, uh, but it doesn't have zombies or anything like the, the that movie reference had. Um, instead, the fuselage is sort of a constructed tunnel uh, where the front of the tunnel has different properties in the back of the tunnel. And the... Um, the real sort of uh, interesting aspect is that it is rumored that at the front of the fuselage, you can actually see the future. So it's tying into the blues rep- uh, uh, theme of the future itself. I want to I wanna just touch on the future and what it represents, because uh, mm-hmm. it's not quite the future and, you know, what's coming. It like blue represents more of a future that is distant and far off and 
is never going to come to fruition. That's kind of the feel I got. Or it's multiple futures where it's unknown which one will like will end up coming into fruition. Yeah, so more of an unknown future, but something that you can get a sense of. Yeah, uh, minor spoilers for Infinity War. Um, it kind of reminds me of Doctor Strange peering into various future scenarios of their fight with Thanos. And he he looks at thousands of these possible timelines into the future. That's kind of what I see. This is a, a, a view into many, many, many possible futures. Uh, this isn't something where you're predicting what's going to happen tomorrow for the most part. So I guess it's not like that. Uh, example entirely, uh, but maybe the far future, or it is looking at many possible futures for a month from now. Um, and it the reason it's tied into dreaming then is the futures are intended to be the realization of our, our, our wishes um, and our fears. And so there's a dreamlike quality to envisioning the future in that it is something that does not exist, but you aspire to or that you fear in the sense of a nightmare. So it has a, a similar nature of being something that we're projecting. And the future is something then that we are projecting from ourselves with uncertainty. Uh, and the fuselage is a place where you can more uh, concretely view those projections. So I imagine uh, it, is a, it is a place where what you see of, of the future is very much depends on what you bring in with you. If you move go into the fuselage with a lot of fear, you're likely to see the future you fear. If you go in with a lot of hope, you might see various versions of the future you hope. Um, if you have a hope that is that you know to be unrealistic, uh, then that might even undermine the ability of the fuselage to tell you what the future is like, because it will represent that uncertainty as well. Another aspect of this location, which is interesting, is that it is rumored to become addictive. Yeah. The intentional or the intense emotional experience that you can have on there. Right. Uh, it, it reminds me of the joke about the the uh, hollow deck being the last great invention of human of humanity. Because once we can build a hollow deck, no one will ever do anything else in their life. Uh, yeah, they they take that to uh, some extremes in the Orville too. Yes, uh, and the same. Uh, so you can imagine the same thing. If if there were places you could go, and they would show you an incredibly incredibly realistic account of what you think will happen in the future. That could itself become addictive, maybe not quite as addictive as, as a fully immersive, fully programmable holodeck sort of experience. But this is similar enough that people might become addicted to visions of the future in a way that uh, dampens their interest in actually doing anything in the present. Uh, and so there's a theme there to play with about how to balance the importance of envisioning a, a future, but not doing so to the extent that you don't work to create that future because the future will never exist if you don't work in the present to create that future. But there's an addictive quality to uh, being able to passively watch the future without any of the responsibility or effort to create it. So I didn't quite hear all of that because we had a little bit of a, an interruption, but um as you were talking about, you know, the the balance that this could play, it it makes me think that this might be a neat little setting to have your players encounter, uh, so that you can 
pose the question to them, like, what is the future that your character sees that they really, you know, are drawn to? Because uh, that might give you some ideas for what you can, you know, what they might be working towards. You might even be able to say uh, that this would be good homework, almost like development mode, uh, where you might say, uh, you see in the next session, you will see three scenes. One is the future you hope for. One is the future you fear. And one is the future that will surprise you, but is connected to your past. Yeah, that's cool. I think that'd be a fun way to give some people some homework between sessions. And then people can share their work. And I would treat it much like development mode, except it's it ends up being in the, the work is development mode homework on one's own. Um, and then you just share it. I guess it's more like I uh, was a blue booking or some I other uh, older no RPG techniques. Uh, it's individual journaling uh, based on your characters and campaigns. Mm-hmm. And you could do the same sort of prep work. And then everyone kind of shares the work that they've done in the session because they narrate their own scenes. That could, That could be a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. The other two locations described uh, are two of the other three locations. One of them I just don't really understand, so I'm going to skip it. Which um, one? Uh, the Locust Fields. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, it's not clear what I don't understand. I just don't see it as having the breadth of use as the others, so I was going to focus on the others. Okay, let's focus Locust on Fields are fields that aren't really fields. They're actually locusts. You might be able to manipulate dreams while standing in them. It just didn't hook me. And it's okay. Not everything has to. But the things I actually intend to talk about have to hook me because I have to talk about them. <laughs> well, then let's talk about the dreamt menagerie. Yes. Now, this has a lot of potential. Uh, the dreamt menagerie is rather simply kind of a zoo in the blue. All creatures that have been dreamed are present in the dreamt menagerie, or at least that's the aspiration of the menagerie. Uh, I don't know if they have to be actively connect collected. And if so, they may have missed some that are fleeting, but it is intended to be a zoo of all the creatures that have ever been dreamed. And so it makes these dreams permanent in a sense. Uh, it makes them permanent in the sense that your party can go visit these creatures. Mm-hmm. And so it's a zoo completely unbound by even the few boundaries that we have in the actuality. (laughs) Um, But something that may not exist anymore, maybe it's a singular entity that died um, or is somehow left as unavailable. If it has been the subject of a dream, you might be able to find that creature in the dreamt menagerie. And it is just a goldmine for evocative, the potential for evocative description, because you can just go wild describing the individual creatures in the menagerie, especially since you wouldn't even have to stat them up or think about how they would play as a creature you encounter in the wild, because these are exhibits. So all they have is a visual representation. So you can describe wild, wild things and not worry about how that would express itself, say in combat or in social interaction or anything along those lines. But I I could see this being a place where uh, if you had a special, um, reagent for a maker you might have to go to the dreamt menagerie to find the creature that you can use to collect this particular reagent i don't think they would be too kind with you saying you know i need the heart of this creature only one of which exists in the dreamt menagerie so i'm gonna go kill it but it might be something like the uh the uh, the 
hair of a creature that the creature will regenerate. It won't hurt the creature. Um, but you have to get this hair of a particular creature. Um, or it might be that there's even a creature that has, where the horns have a particular shape that represent a, a, um, a glyph or a pattern of some kind that you need to reproduce exactly in order to cast a long form magic spell. There's a lot you can do non-destructively with the creatures in the menagerie, uh, just because you have an unbounded collection of of animals to, uh, to to draw from. Now, would the keeper be on board with Vizley coming in and harvesting all sorts of things from the animals that he keeps here? Uh, the keeper has a lot of yeah, like the the little bit that we have about the keepers that they have spells to protect and provide enhanced perception. Um, they they seem like a protective force for the menagerie itself. So I I think the way to play this would be the, the keeper is a relatively high level entity of level eight. Mm-hmm. Though with your characters, you found eight is not really that big a deal. Oh no, not at all. <laughs> but that's just the baseline. If you could make an argument for how what you're doing will not harm and maybe even help the creature or the menagerie as a whole, you might even be able to use that as a situational bonus for additional points in your venture. So you could even add to your venture to help work your way towards that eight. Um, and then eight is your target for uh, convincing the keeper. Now, uh, on the equivalent would also be if you wander in and say, I hear you have this creature. Uh, by the way, I need to kill it. That's probably going to give you a penalty and make the actual level of convincing the, the keeper to allow you in uh, to be higher. So it's the eight is just a starting point for an unremarkable argument about uh, interacting with one of the creatures. Yeah, but killing a creature isn't that big a deal if you come with the right paperwork to get them back out of the pail, right? (laughs) Um, Paperwork could also add points to your venture. Then you get to decide what the connection is between the Dreamt Menagerie and the pail and whether these entities in the blue all go to the pail when they die. I'm not sure that is stated anywhere especially if they are simply the dream forms of creatures that have previously existed. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they only existed in a dream. Exactly. Uh, It also notes that the Dreamt Menagerie is decaying and decrepit, which just makes it a little more creepy. Yeah, Uh, it's an ancient place that's been around forever. So much more like an an abandoned... uh, uh, SeaWorld park than a uh, you know new and refurbished Disney World sort of exhibit where everything is you know working and pretty and shined and cleaned. This is the you know, oh, there's entire sections that are empty. There's uh, there's some you know the, the stuff hasn't been cleaned lately. Uh, this might not actually be a great place for some of these creatures. Hmm. And that could be part of how you can persuade the keepers if there's a way to uh, renovate part of the menagerie to make it more uh, will make it safer for the creatures that might be part of an argument you could bargain about the uh, about access to the creatures yeah um i did use the menagerie in one of my sessions and it was really just a destination for them to return a creature from the blue to and mm. it, it was cool it was uh you know 
it was a fun romp before uh, the group got access to teleport to anywhere that they wanted to. <laughs> if you wanted a Monster of the Week campaign, one option would be to be agents of the Dreamt Menagerie. Ooh, that's a good idea. And if most sessions would then be you being assigned by the Keeper to go collect a recently dreamt creature. Uh, and then somehow get you know get them back safely into a new uh, uh, area in the Dreamt Menagerie. Mm-hmm. This would be particularly good with a, a group that likes the idea of imagining new types of creatures, that likes the kind of pro-social uh, message of trying to protect uh, in a, 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 a creature, as opposed to always going out and killing things. And uh, you could try to overcome the, the status quo of the Dreamt Menagerie being decaying and de- decrepit by building it more like an, a kind of ecologically sustainable and um, I don't know what the right word is, but kind of pro-animal rights uh, perspective on the menagerie to make it so it's it, that is a, a good place to maintain these creatures. So they have to design the areas into which they put these creatures. But because it's in the blue, it's unbounded. You don't have to worry about only having, uh, you know, a one acre area for these types of creatures. And suddenly it gets crowded and then, and right next door, they have to have a different type of creature and you have to worry about this. This could be more like a safari Mm -hmm. and you, and you could design a more natural ecosystem for each of the creatures without the constraints of space. Um, Cause it's, you've got magic and it's in the blue for that matter. Yeah. You could also use this as like a shared, uh, shared house, like a stronghold of sorts and maybe pull in like the house secrets to apply to the dream menagerie uh, to build it up, to make it a bit more uh, robust. That'd be interesting. Having the, all of the party share a house and one of the, the desideratum could be to build up and improve that house. In this, this case, the house is the menagerie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, That was probably one of the better aspects of uh, a campaign that I did where the group actually did have, like their own fortress and they worked to improve it and built it up from the ruins that they found it in. Sim zoo dream edition. Hmm. The last of the locations again is a category more than it is a specific location. And these are memory caches. Memory caches are simply compartmentalized places where individual dreams and kind of pieces of dreams are stored by individuals. Uh, this plays with sort of the notion of dream logic where you might think that, you know, if you, if all you can see is a room, then you don't know what's outside of that room. Um, it is its own space and the dream takes place within that space, but you might step out of the door of that room and be somewhere entirely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, these rooms that are floating as memory caches uh, and they might contain little pieces of memories of individuals who have dreamt them in the past. This would be an excellent place for a secret to be stored, not in a mechanical sense, but an actual story secret mm-hmm. um, or an object that a person used to have, but doesn't, does not have anymore. Maybe doesn't even exist anymore, but the memory of that object is in this room. Uh, it could be a, a, an object that's required to save or attack uh, a particular creature. Imagine a powerful Vizlay that is still attached to their, their gray identity. And as a child in the gray, they had a particular doll. 
and you can't find that doll anymore because no one has that doll anymore. But there's a memory cache out there floating of their childhood room with that doll sitting on the shelf. You may have to find that cache to get the doll so that you can either save or attack <laughs> that Vizlay, depending on, you know, kind of what type of campaign campaign you were running. But this has almost infinite variety. Yeah, and I have a big antagonist NPC showing up that I've been trying to figure out what to do with. And I think building out something like this might be the way I want to go. And so the trick would be finding a particular memory cache. So the story cycle might go something like once they've identified that they have to deal with this entity, they then have to figure out a way to uh, identify the entity using some form of sympathetic magic. Like they need a lock of hair or they need some sort of psychic resonance of this entity, which in the actuality may actually be a physical product <laughs> mm -hmm. or it could be something that they measure in some way. They can use that to navigate through a series of memory caches, some of which may have nasty things in them unrelated to this particular event. These are kind of random encounters. But they finally find their way to the memory cache. They have to identify what is the resonant object, what is the object of power that will really, that connects deeply to that entity, collect it, take it back. And then now they have this, this fetish, this powerful object that they can use um, when interacting with that creature. And again, this could be used, maybe they need to, to save someone and they need this object in order to pull them out of a coma or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Or it could be used to make them more vulnerable or to, to make them passive in some way so that you can you can uh, affect them if they are a bad creature that you need to to stop from conquering indigo or something along those lines. Yeah, this is a, this is a good place to go to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be thinking more about this. And I'll have to and do it just, when we're not on the mic. <laughs> yes. Planning and plotting. Mm -hmm. uh, just like the Dremd Menagerie, there's also sort of a campaign seed built into this in that there are people who collect items from these memory caches for display or sale or other purposes. So there, that, that implies there's a market uh, related to these memory caches. You could play a campaign in which you are the memory cache delvers. And what you do in any given session, again, this works more for an episodic Monster of the Week style session, mm -hmm. is you have to delve into a new cache to collect what is valuable there for sale. And every week, it could be very different. One week, it might be uh, a, a childhood home and psychic uh, kind of resonant projections of a child's memory of the home, which exaggerates both safety and danger. Uh, in another week, it could be a memory of uh, a, a walk in the forest. And again, it, it have an exaggerated sense of the dangers and the wonder that is present within those forests. But every week, you could have this exaggerated memory-based location that you're trying to collect uh, valuable objects from for, uh, for, for, to, for, to be sold for profit. <laughs> um, or you might do it because, for uh, kind of a museum if you don't want the profit motive in it, that you're trying to preserve these and display them so that people can 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 see them, learn from them and appreciate them and the like. But there's a potential campaign frame uh, in the memory caches. So if you were surreal Indiana Jones, you'd have to be fighting surreal Nazis and surreal Russians, though I guess we don't we don't consider Kingdom of the Crystal Skull to be a real movie, right? So just Nazi. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, good. 
um, there is there are, there are there's some com- potential competition mentioned in the t- in teratology. There's the Varvara twins, which is already a brother and sister team that are collecting. And this could be there's nothing in there that suggests they're nefarious, but they could just be competitors for the resources you're seeking. But you could imagine a dastardly organization um, or straight up evil organization mm-hmm. uh, that is collecting these for some purpose that you that we would not want them to succeed at. I like they that they're be... referred to as a recollection team. Yes. <laughs> I, I Yeah, that, that was clever. <laughs> Sometimes the puns go astray, but it worked well here. Mm-hmm. But you could imagine a recollection team from the dark that is trying to collect a particular set of objects that might be useful for uh, bringing more of the dark into the actuality. Any of the major kind of antagonist groups might have recollection teams trying to seek resources that will uh, empower whatever their goals are uh, and Mm -hmm. their ability to pursue those goals. So you could have competing teams and the equivalent of the Indiana Jones Nazis or the like. Cool. The um, so this gives you a sense of even with only a few locations, uh, four listed in the in teratology about the blue sun, uh, these have a lot of depth to them, especially when they are classes of places and they teach us what we can design for ourselves. It just kind of tell us gives a little bit of guidance on what we might create. Yeah, and with the blue sun, I mean, you're really just bound by your dreams. So it's useful to to consider that these are you know compartmentalized locations. These are um, either um, a zoo um, or areas where you might collect creatures. So it's where people the the setting in which people will be dreaming these creatures into existence. Uh, there's also the compartment compartmentalized memory caches. These are again small contained places that turn anything into the equivalent of a invisible sun dungeon delve, uh, which is useful for individual sessions if you're just trying to do a series of little one shots that are connected into some context Uh, within each of them it's useful to remember then that you know the dream has a lot of possibilities but it's important to ground those possibilities in something familiar so like i think with the um the dreamt menagerie it's animals that are like something you've seen before but different in a key way so they're familiar mixed with the dream. They are something possible made impossible because of some characteristic, as opposed to things that are just completely off the wall uh, and cannot really be understood in connection to anything that exists. Um, similarly with, with memory caches, they're places that are familiar to someone, to the dreamer, but the aspects of that place are exaggerated because of their position as a dream and in the blue. So this, I, I think, helps give you some ideas of how to build locations uh, in the blue uh, to add to this list of elements that they have in Teratology and the Path and other products that will be coming in the future. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from Drive-Thru RPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com.
incantationspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore red on Twitter. So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. Uh, it really helps us out. Uh, we also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and ha help people find us.